निरंजनम नित्यम अनंतरूपम भक्तानुकंपा धृत विग्रहम वै ईशावतारम परमेशमिड्यम तंग्राम कृष्णम शिरसानमाम जननीम सारदाम देवीम राम कृष्णम जगत गुरुम पाद पद्मे तयो श्रुत्वा प्रणमामी मुहुर्मुहु नमस्री यतिराजाय विवेकानंद सूरे सच्चिद सुखस्वरूपाय स्वामीने तापहारिने so in the last class we commenced our discussion on the fourth chapter of swami vivekananda's karma yoga the chapter is what is duty and as we have seen as we were proceeding that we find that swami vivekananda very systematically has taken up the topic of what is duty so at the very beginning we find that what's the idea which of duty he was speaking of that it is necessary to understand what duty is we can uh, in general say that duty is our responsibilities based on our moral obligations and as in the last class we were discussing our moral obligations are mostly delivered decided by the dictums of the religions uh, from age from past ages we find it was the religion which played the role of delivering the dictums the commandments and as per the discussion we were saying that why it is so necessary because as a human being we don't have those strong instincts which the animal have the animals are guided by instincts and the instincts are such uh in a programmed in such a way that you will find that the nature is in no way disbalanced or dispersed dispersed disturbed because of all their instinctual habits but as a human being when the rational mind takes the place of the instinct we find that we grow some tendencies which disintegrate us as well as disintegrate the society and that's why dharma or religion is needed the word religion as we told came from the latin word religere which means to bind and the word dharma also has almost the same meaning in that sense <clears throat> in the last class we were indicating the word dharma is actually very extensive but the way the word religion means that aspect is also covered in the word dharma what is that dharayate iti dharma that which holds us that which binds us so religion means to relegate to bind dharma means that which holds us dharayate 
So in how it holds us, that's the common example which we were giving. You will find in the animal kingdom, there's a wonderful balance where no decision is required. The instinct just balances the nature. The lion catches its prey and after devouring its prey, the moment it is satiated, it won't look back at its prey. It goes away. And then the scavengers of the forest, the jackals, the hyenas, they, they, will, they will just come to clear off the remaining portion. They also have their share. And when they are having the share, the vultures are sitting on the branches of the tree. When the scavengers also goes off, they leave, they are satiated. The eagle, there's the vultures, they come down. They have their share. So you will find that it is not that they are relinquishing, that they are saying that, okay, I just renounce a part of my share for you. Nothing like that. The instinct is such, the moment they are satiated, they never look back to their prey and you will find a wonderful balance is there. Everyone is getting their share. But as a human being, we have the tendency to hold. We go to the market, we go for shopping and we find that certain fruit or certain vegetable is in abundance and the price has come down. And what we do, we buy a lot and what we can have, we have, and the remaining goes into the wonderful, that your machine, the wonderful electric gadget, which you have in your house, the refrigerator. Why? No, I will continue with it. It's not that, that as I'm satiated, I forget about it. I store it, I hold it and continue it for the next day. Now, as a human being to a certain extent, hoarding is required because you have to sustain your family. You have to take care of your children. But what happens, the holding becomes an obsession. As in the last class, we were saying, one of the biggest evil of the human society is the holding. The 99% of the wealth is with the 1% of the population. And this makes the society carcinogenic. Just like the cancer cells, if small portion of the body starts growing, harming the entire body, at last the body dies, and the cancer cells also dies. And so we find what to speak of religion, even the government have to think of some laws, rules, regulations, in which has to be implemented so that there is in the form of taxation and whatever you may say, there's a distribution of wealth. Otherwise the society cannot function. So here we find the do's and don'ts come into picture as a moment the instinct gets poor. And these are the moral obligations. But then we found that there is all these rules, regulations, as per the religions are concerned are so varied. Sometimes they are diametrically opposite. Then what if I say my duty is my uh, responsibilities as per my moral obligations, which has been decided by the authority like the church or any other religious body or maybe the government, they're so varied. How can I define duty that way? And then we find Swami Vivekananda is bringing the uh, notion of choice. That yes, as for the dictum, it may be varied, but something called conscience, something called conscience is there in the deep in my heart. And that conscience generally never takes us away from the correct path. It always speaks the correct thing. So as per the conscience, 
we have the right to choose if is, is there any some something called absolute reality as in the last class we were discussing ramakrishna used to say yes though all the opinions in the various religions the dictums the commandments are so varied but still there is something called absolute truth what he told the, uh, and what is the absolute truth in a very simple language he indicates that what's the absolute truth if you eat chili you are bound to feel hot and you may find that it's something like a very queer sentence a queer statement in what way it speaks of the absolute truth so if we just try to understand those words reflect on those words we'll find ramakrishna saying a wonderful thing the choice is ours when you are taking food in a separate plate some chili has been kept now whether i take a chili or not is my choice but once i take the chili i have it can i say i will just have its flavor and i'm not going to have that hot sensation i don't like it once i take the chili i'm bound to have that hot sensation so that is the absolute law that law of karma that certain actions are going to reap results in a certain way which i can never change just the way if i say i don't believe in gravitation am i going to fly i cannot so similarly these laws the so called uh, moral laws are something which cannot be broken in our attempt to break the so called vidhis the injunctions of the scriptures at last we find we broke ourselves just the way a man jumping out of a multi story building saying that there is no gravitation at last he breaks himself we also can be assured of the fact that today or tomorrow the problem is that when i take chili the feeling of that hot that that hot sensation is instant but in society sometimes we do some mistake for which we understand that it was a historical blunder 100 years later there are so many examples colonialism was one of the example for century for about a century more than a century for two centuries it was the common practice in the european countries to have a colony and after the second world war they had to just it has to they had to take a decision through the united nations that no more colonialism because that's the that has resulted in this devastating war if we just really look at the history we will find so i'm just giving one example there are innumerable such examples where we find that we understand that we have made a historical blunder it was not as instant as testing the chili but its result is bound to follow so in this respect swami ji is now saying that it is our choice as per our conscience that speaks of the our duty now again the next question comes that what actually is the conscience you'll find that most of for most of us the conscience actually is authoritarian that how the conscience is formed that as a small child for certain acts my parents applauded me for certain acts i was reprimanded and the idea came that this for which my parent is applauding me appreciating me they are good the things for which i have been reprimanded are bad so it is the external authority 
whose opinions are gradually getting internalized. When I go to the school, the teacher appreciates me for certain thing, for certain thing I am being reprimanded. Again, that's the authority. So these are the things which gets internalized. And that becomes the internal voice. There's the authoritarian conscience. And again, we find that again is so varied as per the culture, as per the uh, state, as per the uh, region where you are born, as per the culture, you'll find that the authoritarian conscience can really be extremely varied. So if I say my duty is to follow the conscience, again, the question comes that can it really take me to some common grounds? And again, the answer is no. And then Swamiji is bringing the idea of that conscience, of course, is required, but it should be spiritually oriented conscience. Now, again, the doubt Swamiji one by one is bringing the point, And then you will find that there again, some doubts are there. And again, he is specifying in that to bring out the idea of duty more clearly. So you will find that when he says, we speak of conscience, we find the authoritarian conscience, it leads us to very varied opinions. And now he's saying, okay, it is a spiritually oriented conscience. That which takes us Godward. Now again, it can be varied. You'll find in the present world, in the name of religion, the maximum violence is going on. And they're thinking, it is that uh, when this violence goes on, war goes on in the name of religion, the so-called, the, the faithfuls, those who are adherents to particular faith, they think they're doing the right thing. They're going towards God through all those violence. Now again, Swamiji is bringing the idea that spirituality, when I speak of spirituality, when I speak of God, there can be two types of God. One is the tribal God, which speaks of war. That I have a, I, a, a particular tribe, I have a God, you are another particular tribe, you have a God. Whose God is greater? Come, let us have a fight. Who wins? His God is greater. So that's the idea of primitive tribal God. That's one. And another idea of God is very nice. A very universal definition which Swami Vivekananda is giving of God. What is it? Unselfishness is God. What a wonderful definition. That if I close all my indriyas, eyes, ears, everything, and sit quietly, can I get rid of the idea that I am, I am? I cannot. That amness is something which is emanating from my personality. And Swami Vivekananda in one place is distinguishing between a Jiva and Ishwara, an ordinary individual and God. How? That this amness is located, is localized somewhere. With my mind, I can travel anywhere. That I am a circle, I am a circle which has a center, but whose circumference is nowhere, it's limitless as an individual. Why limitless? If someone says that's the last galaxy, with my imagination, I can even think of something which is beyond that. So with my mind, there cannot be no limit. So I am an individual with a sense of amnes, which has a center, but which has no circumference. And who is God? The God is also a circle who also has no circumference, but whose center is everywhere. In all the religions, if you want to find where they all meet, you can never find a meeting point in the doctrines and dogmas. You will find the meeting point is of course there if you study the life of the mystics, those who have practiced the religion, 
taken religion sincerely, thought that it is a process to transform our life. It is not a mere make-belief. For them, we find they, that they've all gone to that realization, that unitary realization, where the ego falls off, the amnes loses its boundary. It becomes non-local. So that's the jiva, the atma. That alone is Brahma. When the real through realization, the atma which is located, which is localized, the boundaries all fall off. That becomes Brahma, Brihat. From the Brihat to the word Brahma came. That the same, that locality falls off. Like in the words of Ramakrishna, that like a salt doll, you go to measure the depth of the ocean. The moment you just go down, you are dissolved in the ocean. Who will take the measurement? You become one. So that's the idea of Ishwara. That Ishwara is potentially just hidden within us through spiritual practice. And it is something which you will find is certified by the mystics of all the religions. They have been persecuted, not in uh, Hinduism, but in other religions we find they have been persecuted. They have been termed as heretics. But if you go to their words, you will find so wonderfully similar they are. In the words of Ramakrishna, that Shekhane Shop Shialer Ak Ra. All the fox howls in the same manner when they go to that realization. And that the idea of God Swamiji is taking when he's saying that our conscience should be spiritually oriented, that unselfishness. And that we find that Swamiji has almost concluding in that section by saying that our conscience, which leads us to the idea that what is of good goodness and bad uh, this uh, of good and evil how paropakara punyaya papaya para piranam that whatever leads you to relate to the others through care and service through philanthropy that is punya that is all holy and para piranam whenever whatever hurts you the same thing when you do it to others which becomes the cause of other suffering they are all evil. So now with this idea, Swamiji is saying that now, yes, that our obligations for duty, that we should have a moral obligations. That moral obligation should be based on our conscience and that conscience should be spiritually oriented. And when the question of spiritual orientation comes, the idea of God comes. And again, that idea of God shouldn't be the tribal God. It is the God, the spiritual, which speaks of the spirit that the universal spirit, that's the idea of God. From that standpoint, when you really try to understand what's your duty, you will find that the duty becomes very clear. Now the next question of course comes that just now we told that we are born in a particular society. We of course are bound to have that authoritarian conscience also. And now you, Swamiji is saying that we should orient our life as per the spiritual conscience. Are these two not in clash? So Swamiji to synthesize this authoritarian conscience and the spiritually oriented conscience is bringing the idea of Swabhava with which we uh, stopped our discussion in the last class. Swabhava, the wonderful idea of Swabhava which Bhagavan Sri Krishna is speaking of in the 18th chapter of Bhagavad Gita.
it's a wonderful idea that i can never jump out of myself that we as per our past birth our previous innumerable births we have developed certain trends certain tendencies our samskaras find expression in two ways that whatever i do again and again that gets deeply ingrained in my psyche in the subconscious mind as a tendency i have a tendency to do that that's the individual aspect and there's a collective aspect that the what's that collective aspect that the tendencies which has been developed it needs a a favorable circumstance to fructify suppose i in the last birth wanted to be a musician i was very much passionate about music i started learning music but i couldn't uh, just do it satisfactorily the tendency has grown so that is the individual aspect the tendency has grown the tendency the likeness for learning music has grown there's the individual aspect there's another aspect what's that now the tendency has grown but what is the assurance that i will get favorable circumstances to learn music so here the karma vada says there is a collective aspect also that you will be gravitated to a family to circumstances where you will find learning music has is something which is all the resources are of for learning music is abandoned in the family of the musicians where you from the childhood you find your or you get get all the favorable circumstances to learn the music is available to you so that you have not uh, that is something not uh, you have uh, developed by yourself the family was already there all those favorable circumstances were already there you are just gravitated to that situation so swabhava is that that as per my innate tendencies i am born in a particular society i am born in a particular circumstances so there the authority is something which i cannot deny my nature has to brought me under that then how can i synthesize the swabhava is saying that as per your swabhava you in without denying the authority there are ways to spiritually orient your conscience that's a very important thing you may say how is it possible if we really look down in our personality we will find one thing throughout our life in the name of following a particular philosophy of life what we do actually is philosophize go on philosophizing trying to bring down the philosophy to what to my inclinations and try to rationalize the human beings has a tremendous capacity to rationalize anything this intellectuality is a double edged sword with that you can prove anything disapprove anything to give a common example our senior swami swami sridharanji gives this example uh, uh, very frequently what's that example that in his student days there was a lawyer in the british india long back a bengali lawyer who was a reputed lawyer everyone had the idea that any any case you take to him if he takes it you are going to win he can uh, make you win the case so some a lady one day a very poor lady poor woman one day rushed to that lawyer her husband out of anger at a certain rage he is a nice person someone took some uh, 
money as loan from him and was not ready to return so there was a quarrel and it and they came to blows and he was so agitated the blow proved to be fatal his husband killed the other person now in general he is not a very bad person but it has it had happened and now she just didn't knew because she was having a small child if the husband is jailed and they are not very rich family she in those days you know that that the ladies were just the housewife how can she sustain her family how can she take care of a child so she almost went and fell flat uh, at her, at his feet at the lawyer's feet and just told you you have to save me now the lawyer told okay let me see what i can do so he took the case i'm not just going to the elaboration of the story the main point i will say now this lawyer though he was a reputed lawyer he had the habit of drinking and sometimes he used to drink quite heavily on the day of here this the first when this legal battle was supposed to be there very interesting this lawyer went and started speaking against the that person who was killed Hello, who can uh, that how can he save himself there are so many witnesses have seen him doing that he came to rage and he just killed the person in front of so many other people and now the judge somehow understood that most probably my lawyer is not in proper state of mind and then he told well my dear lawyer most probably it is you who are supposed to defend the party isn't it and now he came to his senses the next sentence he told yes sir that's what i am supposed to do i was just giving the arguments which my opponent lawyer is supposed to give now i will just uh, what you say that um, i will just contradict i will just go against i will just use my judgments to say that what he actually has told is wrong and he used it skillfully his power of deliberation skillfully and at last he was able to save that person and this is i am not speaking of whether it is right or wrong i am saying that it was as swamiji was saying it was the headlines of the newspaper in those days so what it shows that this human human intellectuality is a double edged sword anything you can prove anything you can disprove and that's the things shankaracharya very humbly is saying after proving the advaita vedanta and he is finding no opponents are there to really uh, contradict him such and even such a situation how they see how hum- how humble he was he is saying yes most probably none are, are there to contradict me but there may be someone they may come and contradict the way i have rationalized the advaita vedanta i have in, through intellectual rationalization i have went to the conclusion they may somehow may contradict and the next sentence what he is saying is but no one can contradict the realization if as in ramakrishna used to say you once you have seen the ocean if people come and explain you there is no ocean you will just sit you will sit just quietly you know the ocean is there you have seen so your perception is the only proof that cannot be contradicted through intellectuality i can even just contradict it so here also we find when they speaking of the conscience we find that there are so many contradictions are there but at last swami ji is saying this too can be synthesized if we are not philosophizing if we are really very sincere 
my swabhava can actually explain me without any bias what's the way out and that will be spiritually oriented and that's why we find sri ramakrishna again and again is saying avatar gorte ashen bhangte ashen that all the spiritual giants when they you will find in their life they come they just build up they never destroy they you know just don't go on criticizing the things they accept the social norms and from that they try to transcend without uh, just breaking revolve the tribe through revolution so they tara gorte ashen bhangte ashen so there is a way so that's the thing so how we find our swami ji is indicating when he is indicating ab- about the swabhava so that was where we stopped our discussion in the last class now we will again resort back to the text to see that how swami ji is uh, progressing with his analytical uh, 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 judgment analytical idea analytical uh, and this analysis of what duty is that this that now we have understood that our swabhava should determine the our duty now the next uh, to we let us go to the discussion we find that how he is taking his uh, analysis still further from here let us just start uh, this paragraph the bhagavad gita frequently alludes to duties dependent upon birth and position in life that's the swabhava which we are speaking of birth and position in life and in society largely determine the mental and moral attitude of individuals towards the various activities of life it is therefore our duty to do that work which will exalt and ennoble us in accordance with the ideals and activities of the society in which we are born so you find that swabhava is something which synthesizes the authority and your spiritual orientation so in the last class we told that it is actually in the 18th chapter of bhagavad gita where bhagwan is speaking of this idea of swabhava this the various uh, race this various castes which is prevalent in any society is brahmana kshatriya vishang shudranam cha parantapa karmani pravibhaktani swabhava prabhavair gunai so this brahmin kshatriyas vaishyas and sudras many uh, will be criticizing hinduism because it is so much caste ridden but if you take the basic idea behind you will find all the, the entire world is divided into these four castes nothing else even just take in australia the so called the intellectuals this all the professors the research scholars their research actually is at last being implemented to bring the all these social upheavals all the industrial revolution it's all because of those intellectuals they are the brahmana kshatriya those who are protecting the country the federal government the government is there with their army with the police force the vishang the 
business class that it is everywhere there shudra those who serve now you will find here uh, uh, it is considered as slavery the shudra that there is no uh, there is act there is law against slavery then who is shudra here the shudra there is the one who is serving the society if you go to the role of the council they are there every week to clear your garbage bins keep the roads clean keep the park clean they are serving the society so you will find the word shudra is not something demeaning they also have a particular very important role to play in the society by serving the society can you think of a society which has uh, which doesn't have all these four aspects as per our nature we fit in either to in, uh, either means either as a brahman or akshatri or visha or shudra as per our swabhava we fit in so he bhagwan himself is saying that i have divided the society karmani pravibhaktani swabhava prabhavai gunai as per the swabhava and what is the swabhava we find that shankaracharya in his commentary has explained swabhava as janmantara krita dharmaadi samskara marana kale abhivyakta swabhava uchyate that all the past actions all the inclinations the resultant force of it at the time of death decides your next birth and that is swabhava so we are placed we cannot simply blame our circumstances my swabhava has actually resulted in my birth in that particular circumstances i cannot simply outgrow it deny it so that's the thing we find swami ji is also indicating where he is referring to the bhagavad gita the idea of swabhava that based on that so there is no clash between the authoritarian concerns and the spiritually oriented conscience we have as per our swabhava been born in a particular society where i will find that my inclinations my skills will get the maximum scope to fructify so but it must but it must be particularly remembered that the same ideals and activities do not prevail in all societies and countries so this brings the challenge those swami ji have now uh, almost determined that our duty is to uh, bind ourselves with the moral obligations which actually fits in with our swabhava but this result but this places us uh, some challenges there are some challenges for it there is some objective challenge that the, when you are trying to execute your duties as per your swabhava especially in the present day in a multicultural society when geographically we have been so many different cultures have been placed together previous to the situation was not so we for centuries together that were actually uh, totally segregated from the other cultures we were quite happy geographically we were totally segregated and that was the society but now you will find in the modern world the there is no other way geographically we will find that our uh, profession our uh, life has brought us into this cauldron where all the cultures are intermingling so geographically that boundary has fallen off and here comes that my swabhava is in constant clash with the others so here has the thing so there what is the thing required so objectively when i am just judging the swabhava when i am just trying to do the duty as per my swabhava 
then again we find in the in the, in the australian constitution it is there that everyone has to be respected try to see the person from his background that's the thing which speaks of empathy and that swamiji will bring into his discussion now that the challenges of swabhav that's challenges of doing your duties as per your swabhav as per the objective as per the others are concerned there is a challenge what's the challenge you may be misjudged so that's what swamiji will now bring into his discussion he will uh, even bring into the discussion his personal experience let us go through it and then we will come again back to the discussion but it must be particularly remembered that the same ideals and activities do not prevail in all societies and countries our ignorance of this is the main cause of much of the hatred of one nation towards another an american thinks that whatever an american does in accordance with the custom of his country is the best thing to do and that whoever does not follow his custom must be a very wicked man a hindu thinks that his customs are the only right ones and are the best in the world and that whosoever does not obey them must be the most wicked man living this is quite a natural mistake which all of us are apt to make but it is very harmful it is the cause of half the uncharitableness found in the world when i came to this country and was going through the then swami is coming to his personal experience and was going through the chicago fair a man from behind pulled at my turban i looked back and saw that he was a very gentlemanly looking man neatly dressed i spoke to him and when he found that i knew english he became very much abashed on another occasion in the same fair another man gave me a push when i asked him the reason he also was ashamed and stammered out an apology saying why do you dress that way so that's the thing the sympathies of these men were limited within the range of their own language and their own fashion of dress so even in the modern days you know when 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 we speak of empathy there are two types of empathy one is affective empathy and another is a cognitive empathy so if we try to understand it's a very simple thing affective empathy even in small child we find the the one who has not been educated one who has not been trained that they are all playing together some child some of the one of the child falls and gets a, hurt a bit starts crying all the other children will start crying that is affective empathy that our mirror neurons immediately reacts as per the situation that the in the evolution as in the process of evolution as we have grown we have developed that faculty it is something instinctive so when we are with our own people we are so nice the person who pulled the turban most probably as swamiji himself will be indicating most probably he is a very nice person when he is dealing with his own children dealing with his own family a kind hearted person because there the affective empathy this affective empathy comes into picture when you are dealing with the kith and kin but the cognitive empathy this affective empathy is something for which we cannot credit ourselves you know it is even found in the animals nowadays you will find in the national geographic so many uh, videos are there where the lion is taking care of uh, of the of the small cub of the deer or someone else which which was its prey the mother has died 
but this young one who has become orphan, the lion is taking care. That speaks of the affective empathy. It has been, it is in our, what we so called the genes. Even in animal kingdom, we find it is there. Many cases are there. In now it is in the National Geographic, we find so many videos. But as a human being, we have a special faculty. That's not just affective empathy, that is cognitive empathy. That's what? That we can place ourselves in someone else's position. I can imagine myself in someone else's position, change the perspective. I take the perspective of other person, that is perspective taking. And then I have the ability to identify and understand the other person's emotions. That no other beings can do. If I say just simply, if I say empathy, yes, it's not a human faculty. Empathy is seen even in the animal kingdom, but that is affective empathy. With that, I can never uh, do justice to the people who are of the other culture. What's required is the cognitive empathy, where we will find that because of the affective empathy, the person who was so kind to his own family members can become something very different, very rude, very crude to others, to the people of other cultures. And in a multicultural society, it's a big challenge. So that's the thing Swamiji is indicating that we have that uniqueness as a human being to develop that cognitive faculty. Affective empathy is something instinctive. It is demonstrated even in the animals. Cognitive empathy is unique to humans for humans alone can guide their emotions with their will. When you, when you find that love is willing for your own child, it is something quite instinctive. But when you see an other person of a different culture, the emotion doesn't come as such as per the instinct. But there you can have your will that I am supposed to, I'm supposed to respect that person, cooperate with that person. It will comes. And then you will find after two days, the love has started developing. At the beginning, most probably, I felt a bit of uh, separation with that person. But I tried to put him in my his perspective. And then I used my willpower. As a human being, I have that faculty. I tried to relate. So at that time, my so-called behavior is actually not speaking of what my inner feeling, but the will. But the will is coming into the picture. I am behaving in a way so that the other people is person is not hurt. To be sure that you will find to be that your first when you're using your will with a, with the help of your this conscience, spiritually oriented conscience, after some time that emotion has started developing. So this is a very wonderful human capacity that we need not just be totally guided by our emotions. I can use my will to create some new emotions, some very sublime emotions. And that can be very, very fulfilling. And that's what Swamiji is indicating here. The, what he's saying, that the sympathies of this man are limited. They are, they are also very sympathetic, but it is limited within the range of their own language and their own fashion of dress. Much of the operation of powerful nations on weaker ones is caused by this prejudice. It dries up their fellow feeling for fellow men. That very man uh, who asked me why I did not dress as he did 
and wanted to ill-treat me because of my dress may have been a very good man, a good father, a good citizen, but the kind kindliness of his nature died out as soon as he saw a man in a different dress. Strangers are exploited in all countries because they do not know how to defend themselves. Thus they carry home false impressions of the, false impression of the people they have seen. Sailors, soldiers, and traders behave in foreign lands in very queer ways, although they would not dream of doing so in their own country. Perhaps this is why the Chinese called Europeans and Americans foreign devils. In those days, it was a very common thing. The Chinese were very antagonistic because they have faced uh, some uh, ill treatment from whom, not from the entire civilization, it's the sailors, that's what Swamiji is saying, who goes to the foreign land and they behave in a way by seeing which we immediately grow an impression that most probably the entire race is like that. But that's not the fact. But we develop because of our this misjudgment. So this all is happening. Why? That we don't have, we lack the capacity to use our will to uh, really first show kindness, show cooperation to the other person uh, by changing our paradigm, by taking us, by just imagining our, ourselves in his situation. So that's the thing Swamiji is indicating. They could not have done this if they had met the good, the kindly sides of the Western life. Therefore, the one point we ought to remember is that we should always try to see the duty of others through their own eyes. So if you suddenly find a person is lemming and you just immediately uh, come to the conclusion that most probably he has a defect in his leg. It may be totally wrong uh, apprehension, wrong way of to understand. What you have to do? You have to come out of your own shoes and wear that person's shoes. And then you will find that he was lemming because it pinches. So open your shoes, wear the other person's shoes and then you will find that why he was limping. So that is empathy. So to come out from your own groove, place yourself in the other's groove, and then to judge the other person. Then you will find instead of being judgmental, you'll find empathy is ensuing. I am not the standard of the universe. I have to accommodate myself to the world and not the world to me. The world is not going to dance in my rhythm. I have to accommodate myself to the world. And this is the challenge of practicing karma yoga as per swabhava. This, as per the, from the objective point of view, it entails culturing cognitive empathy. With, we have to develop that cognitive empathy. Otherwise, uh, to practice karma yoga as per swabhava becomes almost impossible. So we see that environments change the nature. In this respect, we will say that how the things have changed. You will find Swami Vivekananda in the West. Uh, nowadays, many won't understand. In the West, when Swami Vivekananda was there, there were no Hindu preachers. He's the first, the pioneer for, uh, who went to the West to preach Hinduism. And we find many of his photos not in the traditional Geruwa dress. 
his wearing coat pant and other dress in those days as you will find that swami ji was again and again uh he had to face this lot of insults lot of uh this uh you know this harassment when he used to pass through the streets uh, there are so many that swami ji always other uh, had to adjust there in so many ways he always made it a point when he was walking through the street there is if you read the new discovery so many interesting things are there he not only dressed himself in the european dress he also made it a point that some american lady should be with her because one of the very strong point of the american civilization in those days that they respected the woman folk a lot though they may feel like harming him but when they see him to be with a lady that's just to respect the lady they won't disturb him so he made it a point it it was a, it's a wonderful thing you will find so many things swami ji always made it a point that whenever he's out in the streets not the american gentleman it should be the lady who should accompany him and then no one was going to harm him so just see that that was the situation and compared to that situation now you think in the western world we are moving out freely with our gerua dress the things have changed so when swami ji is saying the things then now you will understand that how that the, 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 there is some social evolution in the present unknowingly the things that now we are so much more accommodating the things have changed in a very positive way uh, which we should of course appreciate so therefore the one point we ought to remember that is that we should always try to see the duty of others through their own eyes and never judge the customs of other peoples by our own standard i am not the standard of the universe i have to accommodate myself to the world and not the world to me so we see that environments change the nature of our duties and doing the duty which is ours at any particular time is the best thing we can do in this world let us do that duty which is ours by birth and when we have done that let us do the duty which is ours by our position in life and in society so after speaking of this swabhava now he is coming to the challenge of practicing karma yoga as per swabhava as per the subjective issue is concerned your own what is that there is however one great danger in human nature what is that namely that man never examines himself i always think my swabhava is something great i can become the president of a nation everyone thinks that so to judge your own swabhava that becomes a subjective challenge the objective challenge is the lack of empathy and the subjective challenge is i always overestimate and then because of that overestimation i bite more than i can chew and then i find i myself in a very pitiable condition that's what swami is indicating he thinks he's quite as fit to be on the throne as a king even if he is he must first show that he has done the duty of his own position and then higher duties will come to him when we begin to work earnestly in the world nature gives us blows right and left and soon enables us to find out our position no man can long occupy satisfactorily a position for which he is not fit there is no use in grumbling against nature's adjustment he who 
does the lower work is not there for a lower man. In some another lecture, Swamiji is indicating that a cobbler who mends the shoes very nicely, polishes the shoes very nicely, uh, is doing something much greater than the professor who just babbles and the students understands nothing. It is not the work which he is doing, how he is doing that is important. So as per your swabhava, what I am doing, if I'm doing it full with sincerity, it is going to be productive. So I need not have to think myself in the position of the pro, of some, some uh, so-called in the higher hierarchy of our social uh, ladder. It's quite good to be where you are and do the duty sincerely. And that is going to help the society in some way or other. It's something like a huge group work where we are all, as per our skills have been placed to contribute in our own way to that group activity. No man is to be judged by the mere nature of his duties, but all should be judged by the manner and the spirit in which they perform them. So that was the subjective challenge from my own side. From the other side, there's always the chance of lack of empathy. And from my own side, there's always chance. I always try to pose myself something which I am not. So later, after discussing this, now Swamiji will say that, come to the conclusion that doing the work as per the Swabhava and at the same time, trying to efface your ego is the thing which entitles the real Karma Yoga. Later we shall find that even this idea of duty undergoes change. And that the greatest work is done only when there is no selfish motive to prompt it. Yet it is work through sense of duty that leads us to work without any idea of duty. For Swami Vivekananda, it was a big challenge to present the idea of Hinduism in a language for, in which he was speaking for the first time. Someone was speaking. Actually, he's referring to the Bhagavad Gita. What's that? In the 18th chapter, again, we find Bhagavan very nicely is indicating that what's our duty? Yata prabhrittir bhutana yena sarvamidam tatam so this is a very, very significant sloka in Bhagavad Gita. So by performing one's natural occupation, this here also the idea of that Swabhava comes. Swakarmana, Tam Abhyarcha. What, what is your natural occupation? With that you worship. This is a wonderful idea. Swakarmana tam abhyarcha. By performing one's natural occupation, one worships the creator from whom all, all living entities have come into being and by whom the whole universe is pervaded. By such performances of work, a person easily attains perfection. It's a very, very significant, the 46, almost in the conclusion of the Bhagavad Gita. You'll find that after why the entire Bhagavad, Bisha, uh, Bhagavad Gita has ensued, because of Arjun's not willing to take fight, to explain that fighting is your dharma, being a kshatriya, to fight for a righteous cause is your dharma. And through that, 
you will be worshipping the lord that's the swakarmana tamabhyarcha siddhiṃ vindati manava and that's the idea you will find after relating to this loka now you go to swamiji's word exactly that's the thing he's saying later we shall find that even this idea of duty undergoes change and that the greatest work is done only when there is no selfish motive to prompt it it has become worship yet it is work through the sense of duty the swakarma it is from the sense of duty as per the situation of life with us what you are entitled to that you are duty you are doing but doing with a sense of worship without any selfish uh directives without any selfish motive so yet it is a work through the sense of duty that leads us to work without any idea of duty when work will become worship nay this is work will become worship that is the abhyarcha the idea of abhyarcha the work will become worship nay something higher then will work be done for its own sake that as per the position of my life as per my previous inclinations i have been placed in this life in a situation which is not to enchain me which is not to bind me actually it is an opportunity god has given me an opportunity by placing me in this situation so that all the skills which i have innate uh, all the innate skills can find proper fructification and i can do it as a worship without challenging that situation i can use them in a positive way and it becomes a worship and that's the idea of karma yoga which swami ji is indicating here we shall find that the philosophy of duty whether it be in the form of ethics or of love is the same as in every other yoga and here that why sometimes we find that karma yoga is more challenging because actually the other yoga which we are practicing we are not practicing in the correct way uh, we will just say that when you think that you are a bhakta you are devoted to god and it that and that sometimes you will find is what is happening the devotion you like very much but that devotion sometimes what is happening is uh pampering your ego the satvik ego it's a very good thing but it is not actually uh, after all the spirituality is meant to irad- eradicate your ego whether it is satvik whether it is tamasik or it is rajasik that's why in bhagavad gita again and again bhagavan whenever is indicating about spirituality he is saying nistrai gunya bhavarjuna nistrai guna go beyond the three gunas all the three gunas bind the joy which i have in meditation that is also a bondage in no way it is greater than something uh, some the enjoyment of a drug addict the drug addict by being addicted to his addiction is doing no uh, no good to the society a devotee by so called forgetting about the society enjoying the divine bliss is doing nothing good and ni- neither to the society not to himself because they are both bound in the enjoyment which is related related to the limited self the idea of the self which is beyond all boundaries is no which taking him there but the, that's the actual idea of all the yogas so why sometimes we find karma yoga is challenging because because of that misunderstanding that that I, joy i which i get of devotion is something higher but actually it is also a bondage that's why swami ji again and again will be saying golden chain is also a chain iron chain is also a chain both binds 
So to go beyond the ego, that is the only, what you say, the clue of spiritual evolution. With the work, you can do that. With the other yogas also, if you're doing it, know it for certain that the ego should be totally banished. And that's the thing Swamiji will be indicating. The object being the attenuating of the lower self. So the real higher self may shine forth. The lessening of the frittering away of the energies of the lower plane of existence. So that the soul may manifest itself on the higher ones. This is accompanied by the continuous denial of lower desires, which duty rigorously requires. And again, you'll find Bhagavad Gita after speaking of that abhyarcha, that's of worship, what it is saying that what's the conclusion where it leads to? Ahankarang, balang, darpang, kamang, krodhang, parigraham, vimuchya, nirmama, shanta, brahma bhuyaya kalpate. The 53rd. Bhagavan is gradually taking us there. So that's the real sign of spirituality, where you're totally free from egotism, violence, arrogance, desire, possessiveness, selfishness. Such a person situated in trace, really situated in tranquility. He's fit for the union with the ultimate, the Brahman. And the Karma Yoga can be very, very challenging, but know it for certain, it can take you to that goal at a very speed, tremendous speed. Because each and every challenge can bring you that scope, that opportunity to annihilate your ego then and there. We are, we are, we'll stop our discussion today. Just one thing. You will find they say Dharma Yudhya is very, uh, when you are, uh, you are going to die for a righteous cause, it is going to even lead to Mukti. You may find that the one who is doing sadhana, he has been equated with a soldier who is dying for a righteous cause. You may sometimes find it is, is it just an allegory? Is it just some poetic statement? Actually, it's not. What is happening is one who is fighting for a righteous cause. The ideal has become as if his own child, just the way the mother is ready to give away her life to save the child, you are ready to even relinquish your life for the sake of an ideal. Is there anything apart from that as far as spirituality is concerned? Spirituality speaks of what? When someone asked Ramakrishna, when shall I be free? His reply was wonderful. When shall I be free? When I cease to be. Now, when you have a tremendous love for an ideal, and you're ready to give away your life for that, your eye immediately ceases to be. You just simply give away yourself for that cause. And that can take you to the immediate mukti. Even in our scripture, they say, in Kali Yuga, where dharma is not there, get, getting mukti is very easy. You know why? The same reason. Ramakrishna used to say in Kali Yuga, to practice truthfulness is tapasya. Just you make a resolve that I will never deviate from truth so much opposition will come that you will find that it is even endangering your life, but you hold on to it. So what happens? You even are ready to forsake your so-called that, that's your, that's the, uh, all the so-called pleasures of life for, the, for, your, for your truthfulness. 
and immediately takes you to the liberation. That's why in the scripture they say, in Kali Yuga, liberation is very easy. In Satya Yuga, for you will find they mentioned for thousands of years they are doing meditation, and liberation comes after so many births. Why? Because they were all tagged up in that sat that what is Satvik Sukha, from where they couldn't take a plunge, but here it happens very easily. The circumstances are so challenging. Just by adhering to the truthfulness, you can take a quantum leap, and just immediately you can go to the liberation. So at this age, the uh, negative side is you don't find dharma anywhere. The positive side is it can give you a tremendous opportunity to take a spiritual leap, a quantum leap in spirituality, and go to the liberation immediately. These are all the words of the scriptures, and if you try to read between the lines, you will find wonderful meanings coming out. And that's what Swamiji, in various way, is indicating. So with this, we stop our discussion today. We will continue with the discussion in the next class. Most probably in the next class, this chapter needs a synopsis, that overall view. We will just try to have an overview of this chapter and find how beautifully Swamiji is just uh, defining duty. Is showing us that what the actual duty should be, and we should, according to the duty, guide our life. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti.